entering the Freedom Hut. 10% of the workforce is unemployed. Mnuchin says maybe business could be back in May. A task force on reopening the economy. How the rest of healthcare capacity is getting hurt by the lockdown. Democrats block a rescue cash infusion. And also Trump weighs in on Tiger King. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show. Whew. Man, it is Thursday, April 9th. With I, ju- I just say that out loud because I had to ask producer Mark before we started the show, what, what day is it? What month is it? What's going on? Man, this is just a crazy, crazy repetition of this uh, lockdown scenario, this house arrest situation, day in and day out. feels very much the same. Don't get to see people. Don't get to do things. Just locked in here. But we have a lot to talk about today. And I am so grateful, so thankful to be able to talk to all of you to have a discussion with you about what's happening in this country. Uh, There's a lot. There's a lot that's going on. There's a lot for us still to process. Uh, First off, the 10 percent of the workforce being unemployed right now. It's it's more than that. You you can look at the numbers and understand that there's only going to be one direction for this, which is unemployment is going to keep going up. I've started to look at some analysis of the rescue program that they've put into place, the small business loans. And there's all these different categorizations and these regulations and it's not as straightforward it's not as simple as just we're going to get cash to everybody who needs it that's that's not where it is right now there are going to be some people who don't have enough money who don't uh, who don't really have the financial incentive to keep going in in their business or to ever reopen and we need to understand that now. This is why the discussion has to happen today. I know people are scared. I'm in the center of the scariest part of the country for this virus. So I've, this is not a distant thought for me. I hear the ambulances constantly taking people to hospitals. Overwhelmingly, those are COVID-19 patients because there's no one else who's going to the hospitals, pretty much. It's, it's you know, something that... I don't even think the uh, the authorities were able to uh, were able to gauge what a drop off there would be in all kinds of, of other hospital needs. Also, any elective surgery, anything that somebody's planning on doing, that's all been shut down for the time being. So I'm very aware of what's going on around me and I'm talking to doctors here in the city. I know there are other parts of the country that have been hit hard, uh, but we also know that the economic damage just keeps going up every day. And we're beginning to see. I remember in the last couple of weeks, I was willing to I was willing to take the position. Okay, this is the plan the government's doing. Let's hope they can execute on it. I'm not in a position to stop them. So let's hope that what they're doing is correct. Right. Let's let's hope that the moves that they're uh, they're working on here are the right ones and they know what they're doing and and they can uh, fulfill what they say they're going to be able to do going forward that's been my my place with this i I, because who knows who knows what is possible what is uh what is feasible for the government in this realm when it's never been done before don't go to work we'll send you a check now if you ask me 
from a basic macroeconomics perspective and looking at the debt, where it is right now, what it will be, looking at the loss of productivity and also the inability to plan, this is becoming a huge issue, for example, with farmers. Farmers are plowing food back into the field right now because there's so much less demand in restaurants for a lot of this stuff. And we don't have, uh, you know, we don't have a, a differentiated supply chain for getting food to everyone's home. We have all these food distribution locations known as restaurants that are shut down. So you have farmers saying, well, we, we got to plant in advance. Are we planting for the demand that's there now? Or are we planting for the demand that might come back? And what do we do with all the lost money? What do we do with all the costs associated with planting this? You're going you're gonna to have a farmer bailout coming if we stay on this current course. You know, and how many bailouts can we do? You, you bring this back to first, uh, well, it's not really first principles. You bring it back to the baseline of what we all know to be true about economics, right? There's no such thing. And, and I mean the most simple things. There's no such thing as a free lunch. What goes up must come down. All these different ideas that we have that some of them sound trite when you say them, but there's, there's truth in all of them. If this was fine and there was no, no long-term consequence, well, what we, what we found out, and it took us quite a while to get here, is that we should just all get a two-month-long uh, government-funded vacation every year. The government should just pay us to not work for two months of the year. It's, it's fine. Now, I know that's stupid, and that's, that would be, people would say that that's crazy, you can't do that. Okay, well, why? And let's work through that, because if we work through that, then we understand why what we're doing right now as a nation is very risky and completely unsustainable. If, if I'm wrong, then I need someone to explain to me why we don't do the two months, uh, the, the two months vacation every year. Think about how amazing that would be for quality of life. We all get to take off two months. Oh, that'd be great. The government just sends you a check. It's fine. It doesn't matter how much money they spend. This is, good for, this is good for our collective mental and physical health, right? If we did that, I'm saying, if we did the two-month vacation, this is a two-month lockdown in the midst of a pandemic. It's a different thing. But if you look at the principle of economics that's at work, find me the differentiation. Explain, explain how this is uh, not how this does not line up in terms of the money that's being spent. And this is why you have the president now trying to come together with a task force to reopen the economy. You have Mnuchin saying, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin saying that we may get back to biz some businesses being open in May. The CDC has given new guidelines for essential workers that even if you've been exposed to somebody with COVID-19, you can go to work. And it's the stuff that you would expect. It's basically what you would do. And I'm just going to say it. It's the same flu prevention measures that you'd have uh, in place, right? It's a, it's a respiratory disease. So you wear the gloves, you wear the mask, you try not, you don't cough on people, you don't congregate. These are the person-to-person the -person preventative measures. Well, if those are sufficient for critical employees, why aren't they sufficient for more employees? Are, are we taking undue risks with our essential employees? And also, I know, don't even get me started on who's essential and who's not. In California, as I understand it, gun stores are not essential. Weed stores are essential. That has been the which is the most California thing ever. That's a that's quite a designation, right? Can't defend your home, but we'll give you plenty of weed to smoke while the burglars, while the home invaders are breaking in.
So there's so much going on here and we're forgetting a lot about what we thought we knew about ourselves as a country. And that's what I find so troubling. You know, I've just been I've been trying to point out some basic factual truths. I'm not saying analytic truths, but if I say something and I do this on Twitter, which is one way that I get a message out and then get antagonized by all the blue checks, as well as a lot of conservatives who seem to believe that we should do whatever the government tells us and not question it. I'm not telling anyone. I have not told anyone don't obey the guidance. I have not told anyone take undue risks or, or ignore what we're being told. Absolutely not. I am questioning what it is that we are being told because I want answers. But I'm still, you know, this is this is a trust but verify position, although I don't really trust them. But maybe it's act but verify. OK, I'll, I'll do I'll do what the guidance says with the Trump administration there. The tr Trump is all in on this now. I'll do what we're being told for our safety, for community safety. But I do want answers along the way. And I do have an expectation that we're going to be able to have an adult conversation, which means people don't scream at each other and say you don't care about dead people. You, you know, you don't care about the, the elderly and those with conditions and all this There's horrible things, untrue, vicious, stupid things that are being said all the time around this discussion as a way of silencing, just just raising basic questions. You know, all you have to do if you want to see an example of this is say, hey, why is it that Sweden doesn't have an enormous death toll from this virus when they're still allowing people to live. Sweden is allowing people to live their day to day lives. There are some restrictions. They're protecting the elderly, but they're allowing people to live their day to day lives. Not, you know, no mass gatherings, but cafes are open. Stores are open. You bring that up and everyone yells at you. Why are, are the Swedes a bunch of homicidal mass murderers? Maybe they'll learn. Maybe they'll find out in the next few weeks what they've done is, is wrong. But what they're doing is what a lot of us have thought all along would make more sense, which is a much more targeted community to community, person to person precautions. Clearly, there need to be precautions, right? I have not heard a single person with any platform or following say, yeah, this isn't, you know, this this game that some people play where you're either a, a truther on the virus or you do everything that you're told is disgusting. Obviously, this virus is horrible. It's kill it killed almost 800 people in New York yesterday. It's clearly a terrible situation. We all recognize that. But what do we do about it? What what costs are we bearing with the present guidance? And is the present guidance entirely correct? That's all. I've been sitting here telling you, OK, they they, they said no mitigation five. And I remember this. I watch every press conference. I watch all the things they're telling us every day. I read through the transcript of the Trump press conference after they've done it. I watch it live if I can every day. I watch the Cuomo press conference. They told us that five hundred thousand to two million people, two point two million, I think, was the figure would die if we just let this burn through the country and did nothing. OK, that's a huge number of people dying, and that's obviously very scary. But they told us, and this was two weeks ago, that 100 to 250,000 people would die, even with the lockdown and the mitigation measures. And then they, a few days ago, went down to 80,000, and now they've gone down to 60,000. Now, 60,000 dead is still a lot of dead people, and it's tragic. But 60,000 is also a lot less than 100 to 250,000. If we're having a discussion about data, we have to have a discussion about data. 
Right. When someone says, okay, if we could bring the opioid crisis from 70,000 deaths a year to 50,000 deaths a year, that's, they're obviously not saying that 50,000 deaths is not horrific and tragic. They're saying progress would be less of that. So there has been progress made in bringing down the death curve, but they keep telling us that this is because of social distancing. That's not true based on the models. Now, maybe it's true person to person and we've all taken different behaviors, but the models were not correct. Okay, that's maybe that doesn't maybe we still do everything that they're saying. Maybe, you know, th this is still too it's too much of a risk for us to, to mess with. I get it. But I but I insist on having when we're having when we're having a discussion about numbers and facts, it's a discussion about facts and numbers. It's not. Oh, yeah, no. But I keep seeing people say this. They uh, that's because it's because politicians are saying this. It's because we are doing the mitigation that the numbers have come down so much. That's not true. The number 100 to 250,000 dead was with mitigation. And now they're saying that that's now it's OK to be wrong. People have been wrong about a ton of things, but we've got to stay in the realm of a focus on truth and reality or else the government response to this is going to spiral off into never, never land. I mean, we're going to be doing this forever. So th that's we that's a principle that we must adhere to. The facts are the facts. And if we're going to have a discussion about opening up the economy, we have to look at these numbers as they are, not as we were told they would be. And that's where I think we're that's where we are headed right now. When is when are we going to have a beginning, a phased reopening of economic activity in this country? It needs to happen. The more we find out about what the costs are of the universal lockdown approach, the more urgency there is in trying to reverse some of that. And I understand you have two you have two competing trends here, the economic devastation, the health devastation. And you know one of them is going in the right direction, but the other one is going in the wrong direction. Right. We're, we're seeing the right things happening with health, the wrong things happening with the economy. Is there a way to try to align both of those things? so that we're saving maximum lives while also doing a maximum amount to keep our economy alive. Can we do both of those things? That's where we need to have a discussion now as a country. I'm not making any dictates. I don't pretend to have any special knowledge about this, but I do know what I'm being lied to, and I don't like that. And I do know when people are saying things that are not true, the models were wrong. Let's now look at the new models. They're assuming 60,000 dead. Let's look at the new unemployment rate. What do we know about mitigation measures? Where are they working? Where are they not? And it's, it's time to approach this as a nation, as a people. We, the American people, need to look at this and really dig in to what's true. Because we're all in this. No one is immune from this. Nobody is not affected by this. We're all in this together. It's time to have an open discussion about what the next steps should be. Everyone understands this, but so many people want to shout you down and say, just do as you're told. No, actually, I, 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 I want a justification for why I have to do as I'm told. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. If the hospitalization rate keeps decreasing the way it is now, then the system should stabilize 
over these next couple of weeks, uh, which will minimize the need for overflow on the system that we have built in at Javits and at the uh, USNS uh, Comfort. So that is all good news. There's a big caution sign. That's if we continue doing what we're doing. If we continue doing what we're doing. We are flattening the curve because we are rigorous about social distancing, et cetera. So if we continue doing what we're doing, then we believe the curve will continue to flatten. How long? That's a fair question to ask, isn't it? How long do we do this? And, and the moment that we stop doing what we're doing, if, there's a, if the curve begins to jump up again, if the curve goes in the other direction, do we go back to this? Now, remember what I told you before, there are economic planning decisions that are being made about things like food, about things like the medicine that we need for people to stay alive. Not, not, and I'm not talking about COVID patients. I'm talking about the rest of the healthcare system. There are a lot of people out there that are struggling with serious diseases. There are people who need cancer treatment, who need you know, cardiac surgery. Who need, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there, folks. And our healthcare capacity overall right now, our non-COVID healthcare capacity is plummeting. You know why? Because you need an economy to have a healthcare capacity. And that's, that's getting much worse. So we, we're told, okay, we're flattening, we're flattening. We were initially told, and I'm, again, I'm just going on what the facts were as presented. We were told that we were going to run out of ventilators and that we, weren't, we were going to overflow the healthcare capacity so don't worry about how long this lasts, meaning that how, you know, how long we have to be in lockdown. All that matters now is to lock down enough that we can keep it below our capacity. Well, we're well below capacity in New York, the worst place in the country for this, where I am right now. I am talking to doctors who are dealing with this on a daily basis. And yes, they've been incredibly stressed and they're heroes and they're doing amazing stuff. But if we're looking at capacity from a policy level, there are 110 patients right now on the USNS Comfort, the hospital ship here, and also in the Javits Convention Center, which is a 2,500-bed federal facility now. There are 110 people in both of them with COVID. So when, when do we get told that we're not so worried about capacity anymore? And then what does that transition into? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before the president said anything about it, there was fair and balanced coverage of, uh, of this very promising drug and the fact that it had such a long track record that the risks were pretty well known. And as soon as he uh, said something positive about it, uh, the media has been on a jihad to discredit the drug. It's, it's quite strange. First of all, I love that the attorney general, like I do, uses the term jihad in general discourse now. <laughs> First remark, yeah, you've heard me say it on the show a few times, right? I use it the way some people use the term crusade. I'll say jihad. And there's the attorney general, a brilliant man, who's just throwing it in there. Yeah, you've started a trend, Buck. I mean, does the attorney general listen to this show, folks? I know he has. Or at least I believe he has. I was told once that he has once in a while. Uh, I'm not saying he does every day. He's got a lot of things going on, but I, I think he's I, I, I've certainly talked to the man. We'll see. But I, I don't know. I don't want to take credit for that. But the attorney general saying it now. So there you have it. Um, I know other people say it, too. I'm just kidding. Who knows? Uh, where was I on this one? Um, oh, yes. Chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine. 
what better test case could we come up with for how deranged and insane the media is in their jihad against Trump than the, the turning on a drug? Look, if the drug doesn't work, of course, I don't want people to take it. No one wants people to take it if it doesn't work. We don't know. We don't have anything better. This is a really straightforward thing. This is not complicated. Every drug in existence has side effects. There's, not, there's no such thing as a major pharmaceutical that does not have some effect on the body, right? Whether you're taking Tylenol, you know, anything. Anything that you're taking for real medical reasons would have a toxicity level. If you overdosed on it, that would be a huge problem. Could even possibly kill you, depending. Right? Okay. So we all understand that. What's with all the, oh, hydroxychloroquine? They, were, they are obviously willing to... Uh, attack a drug and just attack hope for patients right now in the hospital in the process that we're, we're finding out whether it works or not. I don't need idiots at CNN to say, oh, you know, the drug, uh, if you take 10 times the recommended dose, you could die. Thanks, morons. We know that. We don't need to be told that. Doctors are using it right now, and we're finding out some say it's working, some say it's not. Maybe it's a placebo effect with some of the people. There's a lot about immunity and the placebo effect. It's so interesting. People say, oh, it's just a placebo effect. The placebo effect is real. Sometimes people do get better because they think they're taking something that will make them better. That's a real thing. Psychology and immunity and health are tied together. Now, I, I can't tell you, you know, well, well, what the numbers are on this, right? It's just, but we all know that there are connections to this. We know there are connections between depression and immunity, for example. This is, this is all well established. This is not... This is not voodoo. This is not, you know, fake science, Bill Nye, the science guy style. Uh, so I, I just think it's very important for us to, to refuse to be uh, cowed by all this, to refuse to, to bend the knee to people that are insisting that the conversation goes exactly the way that they want it to, irrespective of what they've said a week ago, a day ago. And then the facts, they're, they're, they're telling us on the one hand that they're the ones basing everything on facts. But then when you say, well, you're changing the facts as we go, shut up, you're mean, you don't care, people are dying. Okay. That's not true. Stop saying that. You know, I, I also, I, one, of my, one of the things I say, I, I see all the time, when, I, when I'm just saying, what I've said is a fact here about the 100 to 250,000 and the 60,000. They, their model took it, their model was with social distancing, this is how much better things can get. And I'm very happy to see that it's even better than they had anticipated, but the model was wrong. That's a fact. Why do I get people yelling at me when I say this? You know, on, on, on social media, look, we're all now more vulture, more vulture, whoops. Well, there are a lot of vultures on social media. We're all more virtual than we've ever been. This is now human connectivity is increasingly digital. So but when I when I put it, this out there, I get people say, yeah, you go first. I hope you get COVID-19. Why don't you go outside, see what happens? And to those morons, I want to say I'm outside every day in the center of the outbreak with the most people dying, constantly worried about my loved ones and friends and colleagues. So I, I'm well aware of what's going on and the risks and the nightmare that we're being put through. I'm living in the nightmare. But I still think that the truth is the truth, even when things are really scary and bad. I really do believe that. I, I think that we have to adhere to that. And that's why when we're looking at these unemployment numbers and we're looking at what's happening to the economy, 
it's exactly as some of us have been saying it would be. You know, I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to keep a a balance on this show between telling you truths that I believe are necessary while also not, you know, I'm not panicking. I'm not despairing. Uh, I don't do that. I've had some tough days here make no mistake about it. I think we, we all have as a country. We've been having tough days. But if you're in New York, New Orleans, Detroit, Miami, I mean, there are some places, uh, New Jersey, there are places that have been getting hit a lot harder than others. California has 500 deaths from this. California is a country. I mean, a country. It's a state of 30 million people. They've only had 500 deaths. It's remarkable. And they're going to tell us that it's because of the policy change, the lockdown. No, I don't. I think it's because California is more spread out. And if California, with its huge population being more spread out, means there's a much lower uh, rate of infection spread and a much lower death count from it, isn't that also true then for a lot of other states? Isn't then the rural-urban divide, epidemiologically speaking, a very real thing that we have to evaluate as we go through this? I... I think that there are people that just they seek security in false consensus. They, they you know, psychologically, they have a need for I'm saying I believe what all the people who are smart think. And that's a comfortable place to be because it means that whatever you're saying must be smart. But I look at this and say, hold on a second. If we if we want to get to the truth, can they withstand a more can the models, can the projections, can the theories withstand a contrarian point of view that's a great way to get to what the what is what is true or what is more true what is most accurate we're talking about assessments here now you know analysis is not a question necessarily of right and wrong it can also be what's compelling and what's not but why can't they withstand this i remember before i would go into brief senior policymakers uh we did a a a debate session effectively where you'd go and this was in the cia and you'd have a few of the people, and we all knew who they were, and they were the, the, smug, the more smug and, and sometimes nasty people in the office. But you'd have four or five of them, and you'd sit, and you'd make a presentation to the rest of the office, and then they would just try to... This is like a thesis defense, but thesis defense is much more gentle than this. And they would just try to pull you apart and, and go after you, too. Oh, okay, well, what, what about this? What about that number? Well, why do you get to this? And you know what? It was uncomfortable in the moment, but much better to have one of your colleagues in the office pull apart your theory and then have you understand where it's weak, where it's not, than to get in front of a, a four-star general in command of a, of a theater of operations in a war and look like a jackass. We all understood that. We right now are in this realm where anybody who wants to ask questions, instead of getting answers, gets shouted down and yelled at, that is not something that I will accept or abide by. Now that, that's not okay. Maybe, maybe the models don't matter, or rather it doesn't matter that they're wrong. Maybe the only thing we could do was this lockdown, and it has saved lives, and anybody who has any questions otherwise on it being wrong, I don't know, but make that case, and let's hear it. Shut up, do as you're told is not an argument. And we've fallen into a lot of shut up, do what you're told these days. You know, what, what does it mean for the, what does it mean not just, we keep talking about the economy. Really, the economy is just a means of measuring human choices and activity on a massive scale. The economy has impacts 
well beyond just the money in people's 401ks, these things. You know, we, we've reduced the economy, the, the uh, s- symbols of economic activity. We've reduced them to numbers on a page, not understanding that there are real implications for all of this. You know, we, we seem to forget that you know, people go to war over economic choices. Right. People go to war over resources and things. I mean, this this is the, the, the history of of human conflict is often about resources and about economic activity. It's it's usually not about we're just coming to. Well, at least in the more modern era, it's not about we're just coming to wipe you all out and you see if you can defend yourself just because we don't like you. And that can happen. But usually there are other reasons for this. So this reduction of economic activity down into Oh, you just want grandma. This is what you always hear. You just want grandma to die for your for your 401k. Um, that's I mean, people are going bankrupt and they're not getting access to to health care that they need to stay healthy. Other than I'm talking about now outside of, of our covid-19 health care surge, uh, there's all kinds of preparation in the healthcare system that's necessary needed. Look, you know, think about this. How many people right now, you start to really crunch these numbers. Remember, we're extrapolating this out over 330 million people. How many people are not getting, and I'm not trying to scare anybody, how many people are not getting a mammogram in the, you know, over the next two to three months, and that could be the difference between living and dying? Does anyone, anyone want to try to calculate that? How many people uh, are, think that they might be having some kind of a heart condition and you know, an arrhythmia or whatever it may be, but they're not going to go into a, an emergency room because they don't want to be near COVID-19 patients and there's no other, there's no other hospital system in place, right? How, how, do, do we calculate that into any? And I'm not even talking about uh, the drug overdose stats, the uh, physical abuse, the child abuse, the depression, all these things. People are going to start to freak out soon. Are, are we allowed to talk about that? Do we give voice to that? I mean, some people are saying, I'm a buck, I'm already freaking out. And I understand that. If you're watching, well, some people spend years, decades building a business. Nah, now it's gone. Grocery store is still open. But, you know, if you are a person that sells, you know, other consumer goods, sorry. You know, that's that sporting goods store that you set up uh, with all of your life savings. Maybe five years from now, the government will get you half the money back for the rent you're paying in the meantime. Good luck with that. Oh, if you have a problem with that, you must not care about all the people dying. This is what the discussion has turned into. And I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm surprised. All these conservatives out there, all these, you know, give me liberty or give me death. Don't tread on me. Tea party tough guys that I know from across the media, a lot of them. Not a lot to say about this. Yeah, you know, and Dr. Fauci's brilliant and, you know, Deborah Burks is amazing and just do whatever they say. And sometimes you got to lock up people that want to take the kid for a walk in the park. And, you know, that's just the price we pay. Wow. Like sheep, we bleat and go off into the long, cold night. That's what we're left with here. I, I just again, maybe maybe the guidance is all correct. Maybe it's all right. Can we can we talk about it, though? And can we demand some answers that aren't rooted in shut up and do what you're told? I, I, I want to know. I, I think this has I think this has profound implications for the future of this country. However long this lockdown continues on. Profound implications. 
and we're just beginning to see what they are right now. Uh, team, you know, if you think I'm wrong, let me know. You know, I, the, one of the amazing things about this show is that we have we have listeners in all 50 states. I mean, we, we have people all across the country. And, and some of you may think that I'm, I'm off on this one. But I just I want answers that are real answers. I want the respect for the American people's uh, intellect and ability to discern and be reasonable and be adult. I, I want that shown in, in the process of the discussion. Going. Now, I think the administration is 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 doing that. I'm talking about the media and the the argument, the debate that's happening between people around the country right now. I, I, I want it to be one with much more respect. I want it to be much more fair minded and not assume bad faith and not, not assume inhumanity from the other side. We need a task force to get this economy back open. We need to figure out when it's going to be. We need to look at all of the data, all the numbers that we have, re reevaluate, retest, look at everything we've got. We're in this together. We got to fight through this. Sitting back passively and just allowing people to dictate to you. I do not think that's a recipe for success, defeating the virus or keeping this country together. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And they're going to try it because Trump, everybody, all Republicans admitted we can't win if everybody votes. And so my kind of mission here in the short term is to sound the alarm to say Mitch McConnell and, and, and the Supreme Court, they're going to do everything they can to hold on to power. And Speaker Pelosi and Leader Schumer, we, we got to dig in and make sure these states have funding to, to conduct these elections and to put pressure on to make sure they're done fairly. This thing in Wisconsin was, was one of the most awful things I've ever seen in my life. You know, just go you the extent that what they will go to to hold on to power. And it was all about one Supreme Court seat in Wisconsin. They will kill people to stay in power, literally. They will kill people to stay in power. Literally, that's James Carville, a respected voice still among Democrats. I'm actually I'm actually a fan of Mrs. Carville. I'll just tell you guys that I think she's a great lady. But what James is saying here, he's not he's not. Look, I, I'm frustrated. It's, it's wrong. It's gross. But he's not alone. This is going to this is going to be something that you hear now. Think of all the the insanity that we were subjected to. During the first three years of Trump's presidency from people who were claiming that things were bad and terrible and treason and any day now we're going to go to war with North Korea and the election was fraudulent. Our democracy, they kept saying our democracy is at risk, our democracy is at risk. And as I've told you, we now have a, a, a situation where if Trump wanted to, he could be an authoritarian. If Trump wanted to, if that was who he was, he has the best shot since World War Two. No question to be an authoritarian. Does anyone is anyone who's rational even a little bit worried about that? No. Trump's like, I want to get people back to work. I want to get the economy going again. I want to save as many lives as we can. But I want us to keep the, the country going. And I want the American people to go back to living their lives. You know, it's a moment here. We got to stop and say, thank God that that is the attitude of the president that we have. It wouldn't be the attitude of every president. There'd be a lot of people, a lot of Democrats. If you put them in power right now, they would see this as an opportunity to fundamentally transform America because of a panic and a, and a fear that's way worse than what even happened in 2008, 2009, when we know that they were exploiting the situation. We know that they were using it for political advantage. 
But they're going to say that Republicans are killing people to stay in power. Get ready for that. You're going to hear that every day until the election. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please don't politicize this virus. It exploits the differences you have at the national level. If you want to be exploited, and if you want to have many more body bags, then you do it. If you don't want many more body bags, then you refrain from politicizing it. Oh, thanks, Dr. Tedros of the World Health Organization. Yeah, we, we, we won't politicize it. Do you want to give us some more Chinese government talking points, though? That'd be great. Why don't you tell us what a great job China's doing with this whole thing? It'd be fantastic. i got to tell you, there's an analysis out now that says that some of the virus uh, outbreak in this country, according to, and I can't, I don't understand the science of this, and really nobody does except the people that do this kind of research, but according to the mutations and the proteins and whatever they got going on with the virus, uh, it looks like a, a bunch of it came from Europe. And people were immediately jumping in this. See, it came from Europe. No, it came from China to Europe, then to America. <sighs> but there's the, there's a I've told you, though, there's a very clear, uh, very clear choice that's being made to take as much blame away. They view it. The left in this country views this as zero sum. They want to take as much blame away from China for this as possible because they think then it will be transferred onto Donald Trump. And then you'll have Joe Biden, who is currently in a basement somewhere pretending that he has some say in what's going on in the country, uh, that he should be the next president of the United States. It's really stunning. And we're going to talk more about Biden and the Democrats later on today. But it is stunning that this this is what they got for us. After all the craziness, oh, Trump, how can you support him? He's such a racist and he's so dumb. And he, all the stuff that they've been saying. And they offer us up Joe Biden a default candidate unlike any other, meaning that he is the ultimate default candidate. He's the guy you're left with when you got nobody. You know, this is just pulling a warm body in off the street and saying, yeah, let's make this guy president, basically. People know him. He's been in government a long time, but I don't want to get, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself with it. So, so Dr. Tedros, Tedros, Ph.D., He's telling us don't politicize this. And I mean, I, I agree with him, except the problem with politicization is that it becomes it quickly turns into a, a one way fight. We know the left is politicizing this to destroy Donald Trump and his presidency. We know that we're already hearing about the racial disparities. Even Dr. Fauci talked about this, the racial disparities with this virus. What, what, what are we what are we to make of of what they're saying? What are they claiming? How do we how do we deal with with the virus and and with racism, what 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 claims are they making? I mean, it's actually it's difficult to understand. It doesn't matter how good your access to healthcare is right now. They don't have particularly strong treatments. They're hoping hydroxychloroquine, but uh, people are going into the best hospitals in the country, people with plenty of resources, people with plenty of money, and they're still dying. So what are they telling us about the racial component of this? Are we breaking it down? And speaking of you know, politicization, are we breaking it down by, you know, who has a pre-existing condition and who doesn't, who smokes and who doesn't? Or are we merely looking at at race in this analysis? And I'm, I'm asking some of these questions. Uh, well, I'm asking all of them in earnest, but I, I don't even know necessarily what the answers are. I just think it's interesting that 
we're supposed to just get this takeaway of racism is making the virus worse or, or the, there's a component of, of the virus response where racism plays a role. And we're all sitting here like, how we have hospitals setting up all over to take in everybody who comes in with COVID-19. No doctor cares about the race of any patient. Obviously, doctors and nurses are being heroes. They're doing everything they can for all the patients that they can. So where? Maybe if I find out more about this, if there is some aspect of this that I'm not bringing to your attention, I'll certainly address it. See, I like to know what the weak points are in my argument, and I like to know where there's room for uh, where there's room for debate, where there's a gray area. I, I like to know these things. The left just wants conformity of thought. They want conformity of action. They want you to do what they say. They think that they're just right. We understand that they have a lust for power that has not in any way been lessened under the current circumstances. If anything, I think they view the virus as a fantastic opportunity to remake the country in a big government statist overreaching image. I really do think that that's that's going on. You'll see more of that as we go forward. So Dr. Tedros is doing a lot of uh, lecturing for people. And I, I would ask, you know, the World Health Organization, how how have they really stepped up here in a way that was worthwhile for us? And I would say the same about the CDC and the NIH. Why do these organizations, you know, he, he, let me let me say this. I came into a CIA after 9-11 and I came in a few years, you know, four years after 9-11 or three, three, four years, whatever it was after 9-11. And it was an organization that was absolutely humbled. Uh, it, you know, it learned a very painful lesson by missing the second Pearl Harbor, uh, Pearl Harbor, if you will, uh, against America. And there were a lot of people in there that felt like there not only there needed to be payback against the bad guys, but there needed to be a whole upping of the game of the people inside the intelligence community. Whether you think that's happened or not is a, a different discussion. But CDC and NIH weren't ready for this. Public health authorities weren't ready for this. They did not see this coming. They did not have the preparations in place. And they really haven't impressed us very much at all with even when we figured out how bad it was. Okay, treatments, what do we got? The fact that we're essentially doing frontline experimentation with hydroxychloroquine. Yes, it's the right. I think it's the right move. I've talked to lots of doctors who think it's the right move, but it's indicative of the fact that we, we don't have some secret weapon you know where are our super super biology geniuses and medical geniuses on this issue when we need them I, you know i i think it's fair to ask we, we have a, a respiratory disease that's going around shutting down the economy threatening to to cripple the united states for who knows how long and the best they can give us is maybe we'll have a vaccine for you in 18 months yeah we'll get some tests out and we'll do some things I, I don't think it's been an impressive public health response at all. I, and, and maybe maybe you disagree and, and let me know that. Let me know what I'm what I'm missing. But the CDC gets, I think, six, seven billion dollars a year. World Health Organization gets billions of dollars a year. It's a lot of money, a lot of staff, a lot of people. Where was the where was the real where was the moment where that was where that budget felt like it was justified in all of this? I mean, you could say the budget should have been a lot bigger and we should have had a lot more. OK, I mean, I'm open to hearing that for sure. But with what we gave them, what was really the what was really the payoff? 
And I, I think we again, I'm, I think we're allowed to answer these questions, or allowed to ask these questions, answer them. That's maybe up to somebody else. But it also is a reminder of the complete dereliction of duty that the media engaged in until now by focusing so much of our attention, by focusing so much of the national policy conversa uh, conversation on the threat from Russia. Attorney General Barr last night was talking about this. And let's just all be reminded that we Russia was elevated as by the media for purely partisan reasons, elevated as the great bad guy in world affairs. Trump was Putin's puppet. We heard about Russia more than we heard about Russia and then Ukraine afterwards. But it's kind of an extension of the Russia thing. We heard about Russia more than any other country in the world the last four years from our own media more than any other foreign country. It's not, it's not even close, right? We heard about Russia more than them by probably by a factor of 10. Where was the real threat? Where was the real concern economically from a national security perspective? And now as we see epidemiologically, it's a tough word to say. Uh, this is what the attorney general, who is, I, I think, uh, you know, I think he's a brilliant guy. Here's what he says. Play five. Given what you know today about the, the panoply of abuses uh, internationally against the United States, who is the bigger threat to America's election security, Russia or China? In my opinion, it's China. And, and not just to the uh, election process, uh, but I think across the board, there's, there's simply no comparison. China is a, is a uh, very serious threat to the United States, geopolitically, economically, militarily, uh, and uh, a threat to the integrity of our institutions, given their ability to uh, influence things. No serious, intelligent person who knows what's going on in the world argues that Russia is a bigger threat than China. And yet, where was where was the entire focus of the media for four years? And don't tell me that this that this doesn't matter. This does matter. If we had been more focused on China, if our press was willing to ask harder questions instead of really being in China's pocket in a lot of cases. I mean, today there was an article in Bloomberg, you know, don't, don't I'm, I'm paraphrasing the title, but it was, it was more or less don't badmouth wet markets. They bring fresh produce to millions of Chinese. Oh, don't. And now let me also say this before we get into the wet market discussion for a second. I'm more confident than ever. I've been thinking this one through. I'm more confident than ever that we're going to find out that this was under study, that that COVID-19 was under study evaluation and perhaps some degree of manipulation. I'm not saying it was weaponized. I'm not saying this was intentional, but I think COVID-19 came out of a lab. I think, I think, I don't know. It's an assessment, okay? I come out of the CIA. We do a lot of assessments there. We do a lot of thinking there, and sometimes we're wrong, unfortunately, on some really big stuff. I'm telling you, my analysis is that this came from a lab, uh, that this escaped out of a lab. Uh, how many people are going in day in and day out, you know, chomping on bat soup or, you know, pangolin, stew or whatever it is that, that people are eating. But, you know, Bloomberg. OK, so put that aside for a second. But Bloomberg writes an article about how, oh, well, you know, it's we, we shouldn't be so hard on the on the wet markets. Well, the wet markets were uh, were worth hundreds of millions of dollars and the Chinese government was getting a cut. People spend a lot of money in these in these wet markets in China. And let's also remember that the reason for the wet markets, if you stretch back to the to the era of Mao, and then you look at Deng Xiaoping and then you have now Xi Jinping. 
uh, uh, that was a function of poor central planning by the uh, Chinese Communist Party. That's the only reason that you had people eating bats and toads and whatever else that they could they could get. And it also a lot of a lot of uh, Chinese peasant belief, rural uh, subsistence farmers, the belief in magical powers from eating certain animals. That's a real thing. That's widespread in some parts of China. So, you know, the, the Chinese government, though, had a very big role in all of this. And we are still being told by our own media at this time that, oh, they run with these Chinese propaganda points and they don't question it, right? They'll, they'll turn on Trump, or rather they'll turn on hydroxychloroquine because it's a way of bashing Trump. But when China says, yeah, we have no new infections, no new infections in Wuhan, no new deaths in Wuhan, does anyone really believe? They figured this out, huh? Well, can they share with us how we, how we get to that? They're either lying or we got a much bigger problem. They're either lying about the numbers, which I think everyone believes, or they actually have managed to control this thing in a way that nobody else has figured out. And that raises some very troubling questions about what's really going on behind the scenes in China, what they knew, when they knew it, what they're not telling us about a whole other bunch of things. So we'll see. Look, I, I always admit to you when I'm wrong, right? I didn't think I didn't think Biden was going to end up being the nominee, but I, I was just giving the Democrats too much credit. I mean, they're they're just I, I thought that they had something better than than this. But it doesn't you could have any you could pull anyone off the street and say this person's a Democrat. And as long as they're a Democrat, they'd get you know, they're, they're, they've got 49, 48 percent of the vote locked in right away. So we're fighting over a very small sliver of the electorate regardless. So that's why I'm not saying, you know, I, I just thought they'd go with something more inspiring than than Joe Biden. But I guess I, I gave them too much credit. Uh, oh, but on the, on the Dr. Tedros situation, I don't know if we played this for yesterday, but I wanted to note that the administration is thinking about changing WHO funding. And why shouldn't there be consequences for for this? You know, people would say, oh, but Buck, they do all this great work with malaria and they do this. OK, they, they do those good things. Uh, but they're also spreading Chinese propaganda, and we have a lot of international NGOs. You know, we carry a very heavy load working on those diseases. Maybe we should just assist, uh, directly assist NGOs. You know, I, I don't know what their plan is or where the money's going to go, but do we just keep writing checks for the World Health Organization even when they fail miserably and then spew a lot of Chinese propaganda? Here's what Mike Pompeo said, play nine. At this point, we're reevaluating our, our funding with respect to the World Health Organization. Now, this is very consistent with what President Trump said since the beginning of his campaign. The organizations have to work. They have to deliver the outcomes for which they were intended. And uh, we, we need to make sure that not only the World Health Organization, but every international organization, that we take taxpayer money and give it to them uh, for the benefit of America. We need to make sure it's delivering on those taxpayer dollars. The World Health Organization is no different in that respect. We have, they have to execute on the mission that they are designed to achieve. And we've seen with respect to the World Health Organization, here we are. We have, we have, it hasn't accomplished what it was intended to deliver. Only in government is failure always supposed to be rewarded with more money. And in international governance, that's even more true. Right? International governance, governance, you know, the UN is worthless or feckless on any given issue. It's we didn't have the resources. Give us more money. Sorry. Oh, it's never that the institution is just broken or corrupt or inept or lazy. It's never that. Right. It's always that they just needed more. Always need more. Hmm. 
I'm not sure that that's the way we should react to the World Health Organization here. Maybe that money should go into, oh, I don't know, elite teams of U.S. researchers who are trying to do everything they can to find a GD cure for this awful disease that has shut down the country. How about that? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So bringing us back, because the president lies so much in these press conferences, I still, for the life of me, don't understand why the networks, including our own, allow Donald Trump to lie for two hours to the American people. If he were giving good information, that would be one thing. Let us but it them. is a lie. So if this network or CNN or Fox is going to run him lying for two hours a night, they need a real time fact checker i actually think joe scarborough might be at the early phase of some kind of a breakdown uh, i mean uh, that's this guy's unhinged i watch the press conference every night i read the transcript of the press conference every day or the next day before i come on this show if you're going to claim that the president is lying in the press conference tell us where he's lying what what is the lie stop shouting idiocy and tell us what the if the president has lied about something that's important i will be i will be annoyed by that and we should ask for accountability and we should ask for a correction but just tell us what the lie is why why is that if it's all lies why would that be hard at all and here's another question that i would pose to the trump lies all the time uh shouldn't the american people see what the task force shouldn't we hear from the task force that's currently making unprecedented decisions that affect all of us Shouldn't we hear from them about what they're doing? What could be more newsworthy than that? Is the, the little, you know, social club for the intellectually insecure but financially very lucky uh, situation of, you know, Morning Joe? That's what it is. It's a social club for the intellectually insecure but people with a lot of money. And that's, that's who seems to want to watch that show. Uh, do, do they know something about the task force that we don't? Are they more newsworthy than the task force? What would they possibly put on air at? What would MSNBC put on air at that time that would be more important than what they're saying? I'm just wondering. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. What we do know is that people are still terrified. Uh, people on the front lines, whether they're a grocery store worker or someone working at a pharmacy or any of our critical workers, they still don't have personal protective equipment. Uh, PPE continually is in short supply. President Trump has been unable to effectively use the Defense Production Act to make sure that people have masks and gowns in our hospitals to make sure we have the ventilators that we need. We have the ventilators that we need in New York. That's already been established. And that was the big the big concern was that we were going to run out of ventilators here. So that's not true. Uh, the president ramping up production. The, the people that are saying this tend to be the Democrats that are saying this tend to be career politicians who don't understand that you can you can. This is the same problem they have when they talk about health care. You can give someone a card that says uh, you now have free government health care. That doesn't mean that there's a doctor that magically appears to provide that health care. That doesn't mean that you're, you're good to go and everything's all taken care of. There still have to be 
resources. There have to actually be things that are done and things that are there for you to get the good or service that you desire. So the president has been trying to work with private industry to get all this done, to get all the masks out and everything else. Now we're finding out that we didn't we haven't yet needed as many ventilators as they thought a few weeks ago. I mean, it was a, it was going to be a catastrophic shortage, they were telling us. We were also finding out that putting people on ventilators is a last a last ditch effort to keep them alive. And they're desperately trying to find ways, you know, other interventions, because it's not like you get on a ventilator and the outcomes are 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 strong. The numbers in New York indicate that ventilator usage for people that have covid-19 who are particularly in the high risk category is not it's it's not an effective therapy it is the it is the last line of help that they can draw for you so you know getting all these ventilators okay that's that's an emergency measure i understand that and that's the best we've got for people that can't breathe understood but we need to do we need to have stuff in front we need to do more than that we need to have things uh, therapeutics in place beforehand so that people don't even don't need these ventilators. You know, the ventilators aren't really a treatment. They just extend the ability of your body to try to fight off the virus. Right. I mean, the ventilators aren't aren't in any means uh, by any means a cure. They just keep you alive while your body tries to fight off not just the infection, but the inflammation that this virus causes inflammation in the lungs in, in particular. So, I mean, Kirsten Gillibrand just doesn't, you know, she's going to find she's going to just blame Trump for whatever she can and, and say uh, unhelpful things. Uh, there has been no rallying together. There's been no bipartisan. We're all in this together from the Democrats at all. This has always been Trump's fault. And, you know, you've got uh, Kamala Harris, for example. Oh, yeah, she's still out there. Remember when she was the favorite candidate of the elite media for a while and got like three percent of the democrat primary vote and then we had to hear about how the electorate is sexist because a a female democrat can't win the primary this year it's democrats problem we're not the ones republicans don't don't throw us in there democrats because you won't you won't put a a female or a minority uh, ahead as your nominee it's not our fault it's not republicans fault not that that's not an us situation that's a democrat situation but here's what kamala harris has to say play 12 and right now, I, I'm hearing all over the place that people are hoarding this drug in a way that those who need it to relieve their pain and extend the quality of their life may not be able to get it, all because the president keeps taking the stage. And it, as opposed to what Dr. Fauci and medical health professionals are telling us, pushing this drug. He's got to stop. He's not. He's not. We don't want a drug pusher for president. We want somebody who takes that stage and speaks to the crisis in a way that is about bringing relief. Just such weak stuff. Just so, so uh, such junior varsity level thinking and analysis from Kamala Harris on this one. We don't want a drug pusher for president. And I, I've been I've, I've been hearing this now for a couple of weeks. The uh, the assault on hydroxychloroquine as a frontline treatment Uh, You know, some people claim that they got better, that this saved their life. But Democrats are saying that if you want to give people that opportunity, you're now stealing it from people that need it for other reasons. Meanwhile, there are huge amounts of this drug that are made for uh, malaria. There are huge amounts of this drug that are made for that, that have been made for a very long time. Why can't we get this to the the critically ill patients 
who need it and also serve uh, the community that, you know, when people say that there's a shortage or they're worried about a shortage. Yeah, if you go to a, if you go to a CVS, they may say we need to order this for you. And that can be troubling to people that need the drug soon. But unless I hear that there's no more supply, this is overblown fear serving a political purpose. The overblown fear of there's going to be shortages of this drug for people who need it. And that also breaks in uh, that also has built into it an assumption that the people that the people who have COVID-19 and are about to die don't need it. Which they don't know. Kamala Harris doesn't know. Kamala Harris doesn't know anything. But yeah, that's a whole other whole other situation. I mean, this is just it's troubling. And, and for those who want to take this position that the Democrats care so much more about about life and suffering, you know, this is what we this is what it's turned into. I mean, I I knew they would. And that's their position. Their fallback is always they're the ones who are nice and they care more about people, even though when you see that based on their actions, they're just a bunch of hypocrites that want a virtue signal. You know, that they're they're trying to get more money. I mean, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in Congress are trying to get more money uh, for small business owners because we're finding out that there's you know, there's going to be a few hundred billion dollars that now we keep saying loan. It's a forgivable loan. So it's basically here's money. Do what we say with it. You get to keep it. They need to get more of that money out there. They need to put more of that money out. And so Republicans are trying to trying to do something about it. And guess what? Guess what's happening as a result? Democrats are blocking it once again. Oh, what a shock. No one's surprised. Here you go. This is CNN. Remember, this is a news story. 1036 a.m. Here's the CNN headline on this. This is great. This is like a propaganda course in real time. 1036 a.m. today. Democrats block GOP-led funding boost for small business aid program. The Democrats blocked it. That's what happened. Democrats blocked this. It's a single issue change to a bill or addition to a bill to help people that are suffering terribly now. Democrats go, nope, we want to get ours. We want to get our cut. We want to get some of our projects funded through this or whatever. Nancy Pelosi's got some windmills and solar panels that need some cash. Here's the CNN headline at 11.15 a.m. Change, they changed the headline for this story. It went from Democrats block GOP funding to this Senate at stalemate over more COVID-19 aid after Republicans and Democrats block competing proposals. Republicans try to get more cash to people who need it. Democrats say, no, we want other things, too. We all know what this is. Once again, using the pain of people across this country to leverage for themselves for political purposes that have nothing to do with the actual suffering that's going on right now. And the way the, and the, this, this is CNN running DNC propaganda in real time. That's what this is. I could debate this with anyone and I would crush them because I'm telling the truth and they're lying. This is propaganda on behalf of the DNC. Somebody wrote a headline that reflected what was going on. And then somebody else came along and said, whoa, whoa. If you're on CNN.com right now, we, we need a little bit of, uh, you know, we need to make sure that the Democrats don't look like they're the bad guys here. That's going to upset our audience. So it's on, it's on both sides. It's not on both sides. It's the Democrats being scummy. No, no surprise there. Absolute scummy move here from them. And they, they get away with it because of stuff like this. They get away with it because of what we're, uh, what, what's reported and how it's reported. 
Let's talk a little bit about Joe Biden, shall we? We'll come back to that in a second. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Joe Biden is now the presumptive Democratic nominee. Nobody really chose Biden for this job. He wound up in it by a series of defaults, and it shows. Ask yourself, is Joe Biden ready to lead this country? Could he find his car in a three-tiered parking garage? Could he navigate a salad bar? And by the way, what exactly is his position on the coronavirus pandemic? Those are the mysteries Democrats now face. <laughs> I'm producer Mark, do you think he could find his car in a three-tier garage? I don't know. I mean, if uh, Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer couldn't, I don't think Joe Biden could. Uh, fair point. Uh-huh. Fair point. I, I think that uh, we're going to see that Joe Biden is... Not up to the task. I mean, Tucker, he's he's great on the Biden thing because he's just we, we need we need someone who's really willing to say what we're all thinking about this. And the, the Democrats, I, I've described this before as the as the El Cid strategy, right? The El Cid movie where uh, the Spanish military commander uh, during the uh, expulsion of the Moors from Spain, uh, they he's dead from an from an arrow wound. But they put him on a, a horse and they have him ride out to lead a charge to break the the last you know break the last stand of the enemy um they're just biden you know clearly biden is 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 alive and well and we wish him good health for for many many years to come but biden is just the warm body that they have picked to be the democrat nominee while they create some storyline around why he's a great choice none of them believe it but they're all going to say it none of them believe it they're all going to say it and you could say, well, Buck, he's been able to raise money and, every, you know, and the, yeah, that's because the apparatus is and this is like when they can make a pop star out of somebody who's not very talented. If you give somebody enough exposure, enough money, enough glitz and glam, you can take somebody who's not really all that great and make them into some kind of a superstar. Jennifer Lopez. So I'm, you know, just saying. And here we are being told that Joe Biden is the guy that should be the next president of the United States. And when you start to look at this, you say, how can anyone think that? I mean, here's here's Biden talking about how we should be dealing with, uh, you know, here's just him talking about health insurance, for example, play 14. We have to make sure everyone has access to maintain and maintain affordable health insurance coverage. We should be making it easier, not harder to make sure to make sense to, you know, I'll put it another way. It makes no sense. <laughs> it makes no sense of the burp, 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 burp. Oh, yeah. This guy is, the, is the, the second coming of George Washington. Cincinnatus himself. Pericles in the flesh. Abraham Lincoln reborn. Well, you know, pick your world leader. Margaret Thatcher reanimated. I don't know. Pick somebody. That's right. Joe Biden. He'll get it done. I, I got to say, the, the debates with Biden and Trump will be will be quite a spectacle. And I do not think it will go. It will go well. You recall that Biden and Paul Ryan debated a long time ago. And Paul Ryan showed up and he took the kind of Paul Ryan approach, which is a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a Boy Scout. No offense to Boy Scouts, but he's very earnest and very yes, sir. No, ma'am. And. People say that I kind of sound like that sometimes, so I get it. Uh, but Biden was just, well, you know, seven little chipmunks sitting on a branch, eating a lot of acorns on my uncle's ranch. 
you know, step into my office, Paul Ryan. I mean, that was how the whole thing went. And Paul Ryan was like, oh, but I've got numbers and I've, you know, the stapler and the data, the stapler. And it didn't go well for, for him in that VP debate. Now, I, I don't think that that really mattered. I think Obama was going to beat McCain anyway. I'm sorry, Obama was going to beat uh, Romney anyway. Pardon me. <laughs> there was a different vice president back in 2008, 2009 on the Republican side. And... I just think that right now, though, you have Trump who that will play right into his strengths if Biden tries that. If Biden just tries to go at him with everything he's got, you know, he's going to get a little Marco, a little Marcoed. And little Marco never recovered from coming at Trump the way that Trump comes at other people. That's not you, you can't out Trump Trump. Dare I say you can't Trump Trump. E. Sorry, it's been a long day already. So uh, then we get into will they come out and vote? For will the Bernie Sanders supporters come out and vote for Joe Biden? I think this is a very uh, an interesting question. I do believe they will. I think they will. I, I wish I could tell you they won't. And, and Biden knows that. So he's going to try to co-opt the progressive left revolutionary wannabe movement of Bernie Sanders. And here's how it sounds. Play 10. Earlier today, my good friend, and he is a friend, Bernie Sanders, announced he was suspending his campaign. Bernie's always been a passionate voice for progress, and he put his heart and soul not only into running for president, but also the causes and issues he has been dedicated to his whole life. He's inspired and energized millions of supporters, especially young voters, to join him in championing a progressive vision for our country. And uh, he didn't just run a political campaign. He created a movement. And that's a good thing for the nation and for our future. Well, Bernie's campaign has ended. I know his leadership is going to continue, including working to address the incredible challenges we're now facing, the ones that are facing this nation under this president. They're going to say everything, everything they can to make this all about how Trump is so terrible. Meanwhile, look what's going on. Just remember this. Look what's going on in the UK, in Italy, in Spain. Massive suffering. Death. Death by the thousands, by the tens of thousands, lockdowns, economic destruction, dislocation. What, what, what government, you know, they're going to try to feed you a lie here. And the lie is that if only a Democrat had been in charge, everything would have been so much better. That's simply not true. And if they want to make the case that there are, that there are things that they believe that Trump failed in specifically, other than just saying he lies, he lies, he lies. I mean, this is this is like a mania that they have. This is some uh, some compulsion to just scream about how Trump lies, he lies. Okay, well, what did he do that was wrong, and and how does that line up with what people would have expected then and what the facts were at that time? It's just not it's not there yet. Yeah, do do I think that Trump was a little bit too? Uh, willing to say, you know, it's okay, everybody, it's okay. Maybe, but, you know, at the time, what, what, what benefit would it have served? Imagine if Trump had come out eight weeks ago and said, lock down the whole economy. We're seeing the whole economy locked down right now with the worst of the COVID-19 spread happening today in real time, or the worst of COVID-19 deaths, I mean, happening today in real time. And people are starting to say, how long are we going to do this for? You think we're going to do this three months ago? We're going to say, let's lock down the whole economy. Let's shut it all down. Based on on what? China was telling us it wasn't that bad. It wasn't until it hit Italy that we knew what we were facing. And at that point, it was already spreading pretty freely in the United States. So what was he going to do differently? Unless he had dramatically different information. 
And, and I have not yet seen evidence of that. But Joe Biden's just going to he's going to Joe Biden just make crap up. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, team, there's one person out there right now who is getting, uh, he's been on Tucker's show, he's getting a lot of attention because he's willing to ask questions and push data that is contrary to the consensus. Now, and there are others as well. My friend Jesse Kelly is sounding the alarm about the economy on a regular basis. Matt Walsh over at the Daily Wire taking a lot of heat. I'm willing to say publicly the numbers are wrong. The numbers are wrong. Okay, maybe we still do everything we're doing. We can talk about that, but the numbers are wrong. So does that matter? And I mean the projections, the projections from even a week ago, are, and they're off not by like 10%. They're off by 400%, folks. Is that supposed to be, you know, is that supposed to matter? or not i think it i think it matters quite a bit so uh let me take you to uh, alex berenson he is the one who more than anyone else has been digging into the data publicly and saying the, the models are wrong the numbers are wrong and let me tell you what he as of this morning or as of i should say around this afternoon his latest run on, on these numbers because I, I think you should hear this Assess. This is analysis of the numbers that he's giving. This is what Berenson writes. Look, I get why people were so scared three or four weeks ago. I was too. But now for the media to ignore the real demographics and scare people with outlier cases, to ignore the mostly empty hospitals all over the country, to pretend that the models weren't wrong, and to refuse to ask really hard questions about what that means about them and the efficacy or lack thereof of the lockdowns, to refuse to ask for hard metrics we will use to reopen the country, it doesn't feel like panic is driving this anymore. It feels like people just won't admit what's happening. And we cannot afford that. Not with unemployment headed to its worst level since the Depression. Not with children denied school and our rights under siege. Wake up. End quote. That's what he's saying. I mean, maybe he's way off. Maybe he's wrong. Someone just needs to tell me, explain. Someone needs to explain to me why he's wrong. Someone needs to tell me why his assessment based on the numbers is so incorrect. Other than saying people are dying. This is really bad. This is really scary. I know that. We all know that. Look, I even asked in one of the breaks, and I asked producer Mark. I said, producer Mark, am I crazy? And he said, <laughs> he said, in general, and I was like, yeah. And he goes, nah, nah, you know, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. I appreciate that. I mean, I just answered the question. Yeah, you know, it's I, I go to I go to my executive producer here. Am I am I nuts, basically? And Mark's answer is probably not. <laughs> I go, not really. I think that's yeah, not, what really. I said. not that's, really. Not really. That's his answer. And I, I said, okay. Well, I meant on this particular issue, and he's like, oh, I thought you meant in general. And well, I, like, I did okay. say I said in general, and you said yes. Yeah, but I meant in general about this. Oh, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, that you, you went with the even more general, like, you know, am I, am I, of, am I of sound mind? And Mark is like, eh, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt on this one. I don't think say, anybody is of sound mind right now in New York. Yeah, I'm going to say you slid in under the, under the tag and you made it the home plate. That was correct, right? That was a good sports analogy. I kind of. Probably yeah, not the way I would have worded it. Yeah, but okay. you got to give me a cookie or something for that. 
All right, I'll send you a batch of gluten-free cookies. There we go. They're, they, they're very delicious when you make them the right way. How are, you, how are you doing, man? We're doing a quarantine check-in with Producer Mark. And by the way, can we start? Producer Nick, I know you can't respond right now, but we would love to actually sometimes. Can we get Producer Nick to, like, chat with us, too, sometime? we got to figure out the tech on sure, this. Sure, once we set up the uh, guests, I think we'll be able to do that. There we go. we get Producer Nick to tell us how he's doing, because he's got little ones. And i got to say, one thing that I'm missing out on, I've got a little one in the form of a, of a chubby... More like 32 pounds. She was 30 pounds, but it's going up because Papa Buck is making her all kinds of delicious food. I got a 30-pound French bulldog here, which is a size. Frenchies are usually like 15 to 20, so she's a, she is a gigantic Frenchie. Uh, beautiful mom. I, swear, I know. We all know she's yeah, beautiful. I'm saying nothing because I don't want yeah, to say Mrs. Sexton does not. She does not. Sometimes I call her my little – I call Tallulah my little my, – my chubby little uh, – chubby little friend and i get i get told that she's not chubby she's full figured and that is unacceptable but you know you should see her when i if if i she knows the difference if i open the fridge to pour myself a glass of water she she like doesn't move but if i open the fridge and even i touch like a packet of ham that's sealed she magically appears at my feet it's like she has a teleportation device and what are you gonna do producer mark when the when the frenchie wants a little extra ham you got to give her some ham. Yeah. I mean, when that face looks at you, how do you not give it food? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. I think her eyes, I think that, you know, th- there's a, there's a, a uh, natural selection thing here, a Darwinian. She has the cutest puppy face and eyes that she knows to turn on when she wants more food or more treats. I think every dog has that. Yeah. Oh, of course. No, but they, they've learned. They, they, we think that they do everything that we tell them and then we cater our lives to making them happy. You know, this is, uh, <laughs> Feels like feels like some relationships I've been in, not with not with dogs. All right, um, let's. Uh, we, we were going to get a roll, but no, Mark. I'm sorry. I, I, I was. How, how are you doing, my friend? How are you doing with quarantine doing lockdown? Well. Uh, I started to work out at home. I did that the other day. I'm going to do it what again. Do, what are you today? doing in some? What's some of the uh, some uh, of the routine? Let's see. We we do some planks, uh, a little squatting with uh, this wicker basket I have that I just fill with stuff to make it heavier. Uh, some push-ups, stuff like Look that. Look at you, wicker basket. That's like some. That's like some CrossFit stuff there. Next thing you're just going to be carrying, you know, heavy canvas bags full of groceries or something around your living around your that's living. That's a good room. idea. I ordered some resistance bands off of Amazon. Now I was going to do that too, but I would say be careful with that because some people. When I I asked someone, I asked a friend who's a weightlifter, like a, a real weightlifter, on Twitter yesterday. Uh, and he, he mentioned resistance bands. Then all these people said that they can snap and actually really hurt you. So just be a little yes. careful with those. Well, I'm not going to, you know, pull them that just, hard just that they're going to snap. Yeah, don't, don't keep them near your face. That's all yeah. I'm saying. You, know, I think you can handle it anywhere else, but if it hits you in the eye, that thing is... Well, I, I figure I can use these outside. On, I have a little patio. So I can, yeah. like, you know, tie them to the you railing. Patio, I huh? do. I have a patio. Yeah, producer Mark. It's very nice. Live, it live overlooks a swamp. Living the high life. Oh. That's what we like to hear. Very nice, buddy. All right. That's cool. What is your, do you have a quarantine beverage of choice? Alcoholic or not alcoholic Oh, alcoholic, of course. Yeah, because non-alcoholic is water. Um, I've been drinking a lot of beer and wine. I haven't hit what's, the liquor yet. What's the beer go to? Uh, Shock Top. That's the, I have a case of that. Shock? What is Shock Top? It's like Blue Moon, but just different. It's like the same style as Blue Moon. It's delicious. Uh, okay. They do in the summer a Shock Top Lemon Shandy, my favorite beer. Well, if we ever get if we ever get a beer sponsor, you're going to have to do the reads. You know, it's gonna yeah, because you can't be, drink this, beer unless it's yeah, gluten free. I, I can't drink beer. Yeah, exactly. So people would know. I'm like, I love this beer, 
that is poisoning my immune system because I have a genetic uh, issue and I cannot drink. Beer. Now, do I get the uh, the read fee also? I think you. I think we'd have to give you the yeah. read fee. Okay. You know, I think we got to. You know, yeah, we're gonna Mark. have to work on that. If, if there's a beer company out there that wants to sponsor producer Mark, we gotta we gotta get them in the mix. Uh, so you're doing okay. How's the how's the Mrs. Mrs. Ariel? She good? She's I'm sorry, Mrs. Well. Mark. Mrs. Also known as Ariel. Yes. Uh, she's doing fine as well. Has to commute a little bit, a couple days a week, but uh, she's doing well. She uh, does she go and she do the mask and the gloves or how is she? Well, handling? she works in a medical facility, so she has to. Uh, that's like a kind of a company requirement. So that's kind of a standard. Yeah, that's that's so that's not that unusual for her anyway. Well, no, normally she wouldn't be. You know, before this all happened, she wasn't wearing a mask, but she was patient patient facing. So I guess maybe she should have been. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm glad so she's doing well. Spirits are high. Yeah, spirits are high. Everyone's doing well. Are you guys? You know, there's a story out there that people are are, uh, I was going to say rescuing, but that's not really true. I think they're just buying them bunny rabbits as pets for Easter. And everyone should know that a bunny rabbit, first of all, they live to be like 10 years old. So they're not, it's not like you get a bunny and it's a goldfish. They live for a long time. You really have a lot of it. I don't think you can potty train them, although I don't know. I'm sure there's some bunny rabbit experts out there that are going to yell at me for this. I don't think you can potty train. I'm, not, I'm sorry, not potty train them. Uh, house. <laughs> Gosh, you definitely can't potty train them, Buck. Yeah, oh, my God. It's not <laughs> a, a child, Buck. You, if, 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 if a rabbit hops on my toilet at some point in my, you know, that means that yeah. Buck has gone loco. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> can potty train a cat. I've seen that done. Really? Yeah. Doesn't Mr. Jinxie from uh, Meet the Parents doesn't he doesn't he potty yes. train? Yeah, remember, right? remember he and he gets flushed by the yeah, dog. Yeah, he's got he's got yeah. you know you gotta milk the cat with a little dee, 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 little, little little cat nipples. He says you know you milk the cat. Yes, I feel, I believe that was part of Meet the Fockers when he gets uh, Meet flushed. the Parents. Oh, oh oh Meet the Fockers the next yes, one. Yes, the next yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. So, but you know, people are getting are getting rabbits, and I just would. I, just I actually know somebody who had a pet rabbit. And love because they were both allergic to cats and dogs, so they got a rabbit. I, I, I'm sure they can be very sweet pets. I just think that anyone who's making an impulse buy, they always tell people don't because when they're rabbits, when they're when they're really young, they fit you know, they're like in the palm of your hand, and you feel like, oh, how much work can this be? That little rabbit grows to be like you know ten pounds or so, and you got to feed it and clean up after it and take care of it. It's a little, it's a pet, it's a little animal. So I just there are always all these public service announcements like, don't think that a bunny rabbit is a cute thing to get for your five year old because it's like getting a dog essentially, or or it's like getting a cat, I guess, more because he's. I'm sorry. And it, isn't um, a rabbit to Easter like Santa Claus is to Christmas? Yeah, of course, but people like, are getting pet rabbits now, and I think part of this is driven by the quarantine that everyone wants to have. Look, I am so thankful that I have this this uh, chubby little French bulldog that orders me around my own apartment all day because I got someone to hang out. I got you to hang out with on the radio, and I got a French bulldog, and that's it. Why don't people just go shelter a dog or a cat? They're out. The shelters are really are that's like, great. A, a lot. Of, I know it is great news. A lot of shelters are, are have have had a huge surge in people that wanted to go get dogs. At least I, I read that a couple of weeks ago. So no, it's fantastic if that's if that's a widespread phenomenon because we want to get all the shelter dogs out. But yeah, no, I think. And by the way, there's some shelters. It's like not that because I've looked into this. It's not that easy. You, you gotta. It's like, like you're, they, they vet always, you. They, yeah, they vet you. They treat it like, which I, I appreciate and I respect that. But, you know, it's like you're adopting a kid a little bit in some ways. I mean, there's like a... Even just you to really... foster the dog, like just to temporarily have it so it's yeah. out of the... Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, and again, I, I think it's good because we want... 
everyone's all, all, all the, first of all, I want all the dogs out of the shelters. We want all the dogs to be treated very, very well. But, you know, there's, uh, there's definitely a surge in pet ownership uh, as a result of this. I've seen that. But I don't know. I don't, we've talked about guinea pigs. Mm, I, okay, producer Mark, I'm putting you on the spot. If, I, if you have to show up with a little, a little present for area, a little box with holes in it, uh, is it going to be a guinea pig or a bunny? Uh, I don't want to be homeless, so neither. She's not into either of those. Huh? No. What about what, what about a fish? Would she go for a fish? I mean, I guess so. Where are we going to put it? I always feel like a terrarium is a lot of effort. Otherwise, yeah. it'd be kind of cool to have some kind of a, a lizard. But if that lizard ever got out and was running around my apartment, I don't know. Gecko to me is kind of cute, maybe because of the not if you live commercial. down south. Oh, really? They used to get in that. So I lived in Florida for a period of time. They used to get in the house. They would die immediately because they die from air conditioning. But it's still scary. And not that they can hurt you, but, you know, yeah. the fear of reptiles. I feel like a gecko. I, I knew somebody, and I will not name it, somebody in the media. Uh, I had a friend who said that she had a pet, a pet rat. And I was like, when you mean a pet rat, you mean like, you know, uh, uh, some kind of, a, uh, you know, gerbil or something a hamster that you don't know as you know she met a, a norway rat which is actually i believe the technical term for what we think of as subway rats and uh yeah uh, she had a pet rat she said it was very very affectionate and and oh. a very nice pet and i was just flabbergasted by this i hope she didn't get it off the subway system no 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 raised raised straight away no because of course they they the, the diseases that they're exposed to in, in the wild if we could even really call it that but i guess it is technically the wild um, yeah, no, I've, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm happy to have a French bulldog. I don't think I'd go with anything else. I did have a, did I, I told you, I think I had a bird for a little while. We gave it, we gave it away. Did it, did it fly away? No, it didn't fly away. We, we gave it away. But when I was a kid, my, my parents let me get a bird, but we didn't, that thing shrieked all day. I feel like it's just rude to the bird to have one in your house. Shrieked all day and pooed all over the place. And that was the, that was the problem with having a bird. So you got to. You got to really want, but African parrots are amazing. I mean, some people really get very, very attached to their birds, but our mine, mine did not last that long. We gave it away, found a nice home for it, but birds are more work than you think. It was a cockatiel. You know, they have a the little mohawk. Do you take them for walks? Like, how does that go? No, they, they fly around the apartment, but they go back into the cage. The cage just effectively becomes like their nest. So you have a little door and they come in and out and you feed them seeds and you can give them a little fruit if you want. They've got a little water thing. And they actually, they're affectionate. They'll like, they'll nuzzle your cheek and stuff. I mean, they, they come to uh, like you, but yeah, whole different, whole different ball game. All right. I think, I think before I talk more, it's like we're doing a pet infomercial here. I'm just trying to think about something other than the world collapsing, producer Mark. This is what, what happens when we're this bored. We have nothing else to talk tomorrow, about. Tomorrow, do we do like a, a deep dive into Netflix or something? We got to figure something. I think we've else. done that a lot. I, I know, but I'm trying to think of you know. We talk about a book here. We don't do a Mark's book review corner or something. We got no sports. We got no other news going on. We got uh, COVID nineteen fight pandemic situation all over the world. Not even just here in America. And other than that, it's kind of like compu- maybe maybe there, there actually will games. be live sports this weekend. There will be. They're doing a horse competition. Wait, like basketball yeah. game horse? Yes. That's the live most on ESPN. That's the most boring thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, it's better than absolutely nothing that they have right now. I mean, are they going to dunk and stuff at least? I have no idea. It's like a couple former players, a WNBA player, a couple current NBA players isn't from the, their own homes. Isn't the, the uh, mixed martial arts, isn't MMA, aren't they doing Oh, it's a, a WWE. 
No, but aren't they doing like an island or something? And they're gonna have a they're renting an island and gonna have a fight there? Or am I crazy? I think I did see something about uh, MMA uh, UFC right? look, signing look, a contract. You know, let me, the let penalty me box. You got to find out for us, okay? I think there's some MMA thing that's going on, so we can ask you about that one tomorrow. All right, now let's hear from all the folks across the country. Roll call time. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Okay, roll call time. Travis, I am a sales rep for Pepsi in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You were wondering if we got a boost in pay to show up for work every day during the pandemic. We all did get raises, and I know that my friends at Coke did as well. Shields high, brother. Travis, good to hear. You know, people should be rewarded. This is not this is not a normal time for the market. It's not a normal time for the economy. We are making decisions to fight against this pandemic. And part of it is going to be the financial incentive for people, the financial reward for people who are out there on the front lines who could be saying, I'm just going to stay home and get a check from the government, too. But they're showing up for their jobs. Truckers, grocery store clerks, UPS workers, postal service workers, CVS, Dwayne Reed, name your drugstore employees, food delivery people, pizza delivery guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank and gals to all of you for doing what you do every day. You are you are not just keeping us fed that little piece of normalcy that you are keeping going for us is is part of our collective grip on sanity right now. The ability to still go to a store, go to your drugstore, get products. I know we got social distancing. We got all these things. But that is is helping us keep it all together. I know it's helping me keep it all together. Uh, so so thank you for that. I mean, we really, you know, people often, oh, you know, we thank this, we thank. No, no, really. It's so meaningful. And, you know, that you would have never thought that we'd be in a situation like this where all of a sudden, you know, the whole country is focused in on and farmers, the farmers out there who are doing what you do. Thank you for keeping us fed. The whole country is focused on those who are often underappreciated and just expected to do what they do as part of the economy. No, no, no. No one's no one is expected to do anything right now. Everybody who's stepping up and showing up is showing a lot about who they are and, and what they're willing to do for their fellow Americans and for this country. And it's not something not only should we continue to say thank you. And of course, doctors, nurses, first line health responders, too. Not only should we th- say thank you, but we, we should all remember this. We should all remember this. There's there's been a, an elevation in the American consciousness of those who are doing jobs that are often underappreciated. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, more roll call here. Arnold writes in to say, Buck, in the wake of what you are facing in NYC, I could not help but think of Akeem's good morning, my neighbor's comment and coming to America in a totally different context. Avid binge listener, Shields High from Northeastern Ohio. Well, Arnold, first of all, thank you so much for listening to the show, and I hope you're excited for the uh, the Malta podcast that we will be doing soon. Um, hoping to get it recorded this weekend and out next week. That's my plan. I might need one more week, but I don't think anyone's really going anywhere. So the good news is that you'll be able to listen. Um, and and as for yeah, uh, coming to America is a gr- is a great movie. Producer Mark, where are you? Give me your top. Give me your top three all-time Eddie Murphy. I know I've already asked you this. You, you, you had, yeah, yeah. I did. I asked you this because I think that's an interesting discussion. It's like top three Schwarzenegger, top three Eddie Murphy. What, what's your top three Stallone? What do you got for me? Top uh, three Stallone. I mean, just, I have no idea. Off the Come top on, of my head. man. You, you Gen Z 
Oh no, you're yeah, you're no. I, mean, I need to look at a list of Stallone movies. You gotta give me a second. You can't just. I mean, Rocky, obviously. Rocky's number one. You don't even need to think about this. That's Rocky's. what first came to my head, but like, you know, you gotta give Rocky, me a second. I got one for you. Would you would you co-sign on this? Rocky is the greatest sports movie of all time. Ooh, Rocky one. I mean, that's tough because there's a lot of amazing sports movies. It's that's up true. There. It's certainly up there. Uh, but also the backstory of it that he wrote the script and that he turned down a million dollars and he insisted on starring in it and it's an incredible story. Have you seen the Creed movies? Because I love them. They're excellent. Yeah. Excellent. That guy, Michael B. Jordan, does a phenomenal... See, I was a fan of his back from when he played the sort of star quarterback guy in Friday Night Lights. I thought he was excellent in that and really kind of carried the show in the latter seasons. I'm a big Friday Night Lights fan, although the writers strike and it went off the rails in the second season and then a short third season. So the show, unfortunately, had some some problems, some sort of structural problems. But did you ever see Friday Night Lights? I didn't. I didn't even know he was in that. But now that I know oh, Michael dude, B. Jordan you should, that. you should definitely. I think it might. I don't know if it's on Hulu or Netflix. It's definitely out there to yeah, watch. Yeah, it's definitely streaming somewhere. You should definitely watch that. You would like that. It's uh, you, you know the movie, right? Friday Night Lights? Of course. Right. So it's like they made that into a TV show. I, I think you would find it. Uh, it's hard to hard to beat the movie, though. The movie's good. I, I think the TV show is actually better. I was, really? We have to see. You got to check it out. The okay. TV show has a rabid fan base. Like the fans for that show freak out. They love it. All right. All right. I'll get back to roll call. Sorry, guys. I got a little distracted there. William, greetings, Buck and producer Mark. I just want to say that there was more to Wisconsin voting than just the primary. We were voting for a Supreme Court seat. The conservative Second Amendment supporting incumbent was challenged by a left wing nutjob. <laughs> I, I really I really love I love this audience so much. You guys and gals are amazing. Uh, we can't let overblown phobia of the Rona cost us the law the last of any freedoms we have. if We can help it. Uh, is that what people are referring to as the Rona? I keep seeing Rona talked about. There's it. a lot of TikToks about it. Is TikTok? That's what I was trying to figure yeah. out. TikTok Rona. Yeah. I thought it was a Twitter thing. It's a TikTok it's thing. It's a TikTok thing. There's like uh, songs about the Rona. Ah. Uh, yeah. People are. Did very you see? Bored. Did you see the hip hop video about like get your coronavirus away from me? I think I did. TikTok. Yeah. It's amazing. It's There's really some good. funny stuff out there. It's really good. I gotta say, those gentlemen were very talented. All right. Sorry. William writes, the polls in my township maintain social distancing and allow only two voters in the building at a time. Shields high. Yeah, William. I mean, you know, it sounds like if you do this stuff with an eye to keeping people safe, then then you're being responsible. I I don't know. I got to look more into this. This Wisconsin voting, you know, it's uh, obviously a lot of people are picking sides on it based on what they want to be the case instead of what the case necessarily is. Craig, here we go. Buck. I began listening to you via podcast after hearing you on Rush a few years ago. You have a great show and are now part of my daily routine along with Rush. Well, Craig, I could not be in better company. And uh, it's an honor to be in, at least in your on, on your docket to be right alongside the one and only Rush Limbaugh, the greatest, the greatest in this medium of all time. Thanks for getting back to being the old buck on Monday. I mean, I'm glad your critical thinking and questioning of the experts in government is back. Prior to last Friday, your show was getting a woe is us vibe that was getting hard for me to listen to. But don't worry, I still listened. I think there's a better way to handle this than just shutting down the country across the board. Hotspots such as NYC had to be contained and managed. But to treat other more rural states in the middle of the country the same does not make sense. 
Thus, I'm really curious to see how Sweden's cases end up when this is all over may have been a better solution. I guess time will tell. I pray that the experts make an effort to collect useful data from this so we learn the proper lessons for the future. Hopefully better risk decisions are made going forward to get everyone back to work. I can't imagine what would or will have happened if President Trump was not the man in charge. Uh, yeah, Craig, look, I thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, you staying with me, even if I had a couple of days that were tough here. You got to remember, I mean, here in New York, uh, we've been on shutdown longer and, and it's been a more intense shutdown as well as having really, really terrible numbers coming out of our health system about how many people are dying. So, you know, it's bad. Think of it this way. It's like I was doing a show about, you know, a, a hurricane and I'm doing the show while the hurricane's going on right where I am, right? I mean, that, that's, you're going to have a different view of that hurricane than if you're in other parts of the country that are just having some, some bad weather, which we know can happen, right? The, the storm system can result in you know, severe thunderstorms elsewhere. But I, I was, I'm in the place where the houses are getting blown down, if you know what I mean. And so that can affect your perception a little bit. Um, and, and I'm also right near the center of a lot of where New York activity is. I mean, I'm, I'm, I live close to what you think of as the, the most crowded part, in some ways, the commercial beating heart of the city. I'm right here. And so I'm really close to the, when it, and when it goes ghost town, we really saw it. That all said, yeah, absolutely. I'm questioning the experts because now I can see that they're wrong about some stuff. So when the experts come out and say, do what I say, you're going to die. I'm like, okay, I guess we can shut down for a couple of weeks and see where we are. And this is extreme. But and now it's do what we say you're going to die. And I'm saying, all right, but you've been saying that. And there's some other stuff I want answers to. I think that's a normal, a normal progression, a normal thought process here. And I, I wish that more people would see it that way. But uh, uh, there are people that would prefer to believe that somehow asking questions means you're unfeeling, uncaring and don't don't mind that people are dying which is a horrible thing, um, a horrible thing for anyone to think. And it's obviously a terrible thing that we're losing so many people to this virus. But, you know, we're going to keep we're going to keep asking those questions, Craig. So keep listening. Nicole, you had covered the Colorado fella being she wrote fella. There you go. Being arrested for playing T-ball in the park with his kid. Thought I'd like I'd let you know the mayor overreached and or they reached out rather and apologized to the gent. I think they all realize the gross overreach of authority. Yeah, you don't say. I work full time from home, have the last five years, and with all four kids home while the hub still ventures to work, it's fun. I used to homeschool my kids, so it's a welcome addition, but I know it's not for everyone. The only thing I don't care for is cooking so many meals a week. Well, good to know that you're adapting so, uh, so strongly to the situation, Nicole. I'm glad to hear things are going well. Uh, homeschooling of kids has been very interesting. Some people seem to really like it, and some people say that it's very, very challenging. I don't. I have no personal data on this one, unless you consider a very willful and very uh, food-obsessed French bulldog to be some form of homeschooling of a canine. But uh, I have to go only by the data you all give me about how it is to try and, and help people, and uh, I'm mean, sorry, help your kids learn. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see if that ends up being a bigger movement. The homeschooling movement has been growing in recent years, and I, I can understand a lot of a lot of the appeal. I understand why people think because I used to be like, well, wait a second, but you don't don't you need more interaction? And, and the homeschooling people that I've talked to say we still do group sports, still take the kids out to, to play you know, on the soccer team and they still get to do activities with other kids. They just get one on one instruction in a in a safe and non lib dominated brainwashing environment. 
That seems like they're good. Again, I have no experience of this, so I can only go on what go on what I'm told. But it seems like it makes sense to me. Brian, Buck, you and Mark keep me safe and warm at night. Everyone knows all you have to do is write that, and you're going to get into roll call. You're going to beat out the hundreds of other messages and get into roll call. Your analogy to an induced coma is good, but in this case, Pelosi is not one of the provider team who will have to get us out. She is the greedy relative insisting that we make changes to the will before inducing the coma, knowing that she can get away with what she wants because the rest of the team just wants to hurry up and get on with the process. Brian, I appreciate that you are leaning leaning far into our analogy here and uh, really making the most of it. So there we go. I feel like in this thing also, uh, if the country were in this, this induced coma, producer Mark would be the like the cousin who's in the corner making like cracks like so like uh, when do we get you know when do we get to find out where the mistress is you know what I mean what do you think oh, producer Mark absolutely I'm always yeah. the one to make the joke at the worst possible time yeah, yeah yeah I'm just saying you know producer Mark I've gotten to know him well Jeff Buck I love your show I listened to the day prior on podcast just before uh, uh, just before Glenn Beck and Rush the four of you should have a TV show called The Conservative View just to upset the left. Well, that'd be a lot of fun, actually. Bet the women on The View would lose their minds and ratings. Shields high and stay safe and God bless. P.S. Get out of New York. Well, Jeff, we appreciate that you love the show. And uh, I like that you listened the day prior on podcast. That's great. Please tell people about the podcast. Very helpful for us to have more and more listeners. So, yes, indeed. Thank you so much. And with that, we'll get back into roll call in a second. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, Jason, up next in roll call. Hey, Space Lord, Super Ninja Buck and producer Mark. There we go. I work in a warehouse for an HVAC and plumbing wholesaler, and as a result, I'm considered an essential employee. So far, we are still busy, but we haven't taken a dramatic hit to our business. For now, I'm just grateful to have a place to work where I'm not stuck in the house all day. Lucky for me, it's kind of hard to drive a forklift from the couch. Uh, well, hey, man, Jason, thanks for keeping stuff going. You know, the more the more normalcy in the economy we can have, the better off the rest of us who are under lockdown are going to be. You know, I need to keep this need to keep stuff going to keep those packages shipped and to keep the HVACs and plumbing. We actually they actually turned the water off in my building today, so I had to pour some Brita on my hands to make the swoop happen because now the swoop is so long that I have to, uh, you know, pull my hair back and, you know, producer Mark can't see it. Producer Nick can. Producer Nick, would you send me, send me a message right now and tell me if we could start to get you in on some of this, would you join us for our, our late in the day uh, chat here about all things happening? Producer Nick, he's actually, he actually has kind of a similar sense of humor to producer Mark, believe it or not. So this it's going to be like two on one. I'm going to be here. The earnest, uh, you know, perhaps too, too optimistic about life. And then Mark and Nick will come in. I'll tell you what's really happening. So, yeah, he says he could. All right. There we go. We'll have some, we'll have some more fun here later on in the show. All right. Oh, speaking of Nick. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Oh, no, we did do Jason. Speaking of Nick, we got another Nick. Hey, Buck, I'm a gig driver here in West Michigan. I did what I was told for almost two weeks and didn't work per the government. Whitmer's shelter in place order. But since I have no cash left, basically, I'm forced to go back and work. It isn't as dire. I feel as Whitmer is making it out to be. 
They've got a completely skewed data set that they're making these soon-to-be long-lasting effects of decisions being made. Whitmer is playing politics, I feel, with this whole situation. Mark my words, if she becomes Biden's VP, uh, she never really had Michigander's interests at heart. Found you looking for conservative content on Pluto TV. I also watch The Blaze. Just wanted to share my feedback and opinion, which is shared by many others I know. The divide the Democrats created in the country is making half of us go, yeah, forget you, after three-plus years of constant abuse and supporting the president. Uh, I'm sorry, but enough's enough. Too much damage is being done. Make no mistake about it. When Whitmer gets dragged into court over it, she better have her data set ready to be presented. I've justified all this. Nick, uh, thank you for the eloquent message. I'm so glad to hear that you're finding uh, that you're a, a new member of Team Buck and that you found us just from looking at Pluto TV. Any of you want to want to see the show, if you want to watch the show on video, you can always uh, it's a free app. Pluto TV is a great app to have a lot of different content on there. Super user friendly and easy. This is not like back in the day. There were some of these other streaming digital things and I, I couldn't even figure them out. And I was on I was on them. I was on the platform. Now this is super straightforward. We also have our YouTube channel, which we're putting out on social media to get you to subscribe to, um, which is another great. So if you're not on Pluto TV, you can always look at us on, on the YouTube show. And that's a great way to do it. So there we have it. Matthew, uh, I'm working at HEB Supermarket down near San Antonio. Matthew, Shields High, thank you for the work you're doing. They've increased our pay and have masks and gloves if we want to use them. It doesn't feel that bad down here as in New York, but there's a serious concern on what is going on with the whole country. Well, Matthew, I think that's really I think that's really common. I think that that's what we're hearing from a lot of people, that they realize that they're not as bad as New York. I'm in the worst of this here. Worst cases, most deaths for a lot of you. Yeah, it's out there and it's it's something ever people are aware of. And it seems scary, but it seems like a lot of places are able to hold the numbers down pretty well. When no one is going to go back anytime soon to, you know, kissing on the cheek, shaking hands, big crowds. We're just saying, hey, if we put on a mask and gloves and we're not in a high risk category, can we can we do our jobs? Can we open stores? What if the stores have people with masks and gloves, but then they have social distancing in place? They can only allow a lot of retail stores, especially smaller, small business, small businesses, for example, they don't have more than five or 10 people in there at a time anyway, but they could sell golf clubs. They could sell sweaters. They could, you know, we could have commerce still going on safely. And we'd also have that human connectivity, that human back and forth. And I think a lot of us, I know we all miss terribly and a lot of us kind of depend on and keep sane. So I just, I think that that's a discussion to be had right now. Carl writes, Aloha Buck. I'm assuming Carl is from Hawaii. It's my understanding Tedros Adhanom, the man that runs the World Health Organization, is not a doctor. He's an Ethiopian microbiologist and internationally recognized malaria researcher. Tedros is the first non-physician and first African in the role. Oh, so he's a, he's a Ph.D. in microbiology. That's actually better than I thought. I thought he was a Ph.D. in like public health policy or something. So he's a scientist, uh, but that doesn't mean he's doing a good job at the top of the WHO, does it? Paul, regarding your title envy over producer Mark, Stag Commander Buck, Stag for Strategic Task Air Group. Go with that. You are strategic. Your task is spreading freedom. You are on the air. Your listeners are your group. Oh, and a stag is a buck. Paul is very, uh, very clever, but I don't think we're going to get producer Mark to call me Stag Commander. Yeah, no chance. (laughs) I had a feeling that was going to be the answer. Yep. Didn't think that was going to work. Uh, 
Oh, well, guys, we got a lot more roll call, but we'll get to these tomorrow. We'll have Friday. We'll have a whole sesh. Uh, we'll discuss, you know, coffee, freedom, talk, all the things we do. Thank you so much for being here. I'll be back with you tomorrow. You guys are my daily salvation. Please spread the word about this show. We will get through this together. I'm already starting to feel like we're almost seeing the light at the end of the lockdown tunnel. It's not there yet, but we're getting close. Shields high.